0: For our God is the Ancient of Days. Good morning, church. It's great to open up God's Word with you. If you have a Bible near you, if you could open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, reading verses 11 through 13 this morning. Beginning in verse 11, the Word of God reads, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Here ends, here ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Please join me for a word of prayer. Father, we come humbly before you now in continual need of your grace. Thank you for your patience, for your kindness towards us, for giving us opportunity this morning to gather corporately in this place to worship you and to hear from your word. Lord, help guard us from distraction, from our minds running to and fro, from our listening running to and fro. Help our focus to be upon your word and what you desire for us to learn from it. We ask that you continue to reveal yourself to us and that your spirit teaches us all that you purpose for us, both in the knowledge of you and in living out our faith before you. To you be all honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, beloved. I've spoken to quite a few of you who have recently gone to to see a doctor for various reasons, and when you go to the doctor and you describe what's going on, they then tell you what they believe is truly going on. And they prescribe to you perhaps some medications or some other procedures, some tests to follow up, and you follow their orders because you trust them. And perhaps there are some of you who have a financial planner and you go to them with your money and they tell you what is best for investing your money and you follow their recommendation because you trust them. And perhaps some of you have a coach, someone who tells you how to improve at a sport and you follow their advice because why? good job, church, because you trust them. And if you can trust the words from your doctor, from your financial planner, and from your coach, how much more should you trust God's living and active word? That is the title of this morning's sermon, God's Living an active word. We'll be looking specifically at verses 12 and 13, but keeping verse 11 in there for context this morning. And so looking to the word of God and our continued study through this book of Hebrews, I want to remind you that back in Hebrews chapter 2, the author began warning the hearers about falling prey to unbelief. In chapter 3, verse 7, he begins to quote from Psalm 95 as he recalls the the Exodus generation who failed to enter God's rest even though they witnessed the mighty hand of God working on their behalf. Their disobedience demonstrated their unbelief. They lacked genuine faith in God. And using their example as a backdrop, the author continues to encourage his hearers to not follow the example of the Israelites in the wilderness who received the wrath of God instead of the rest of God. And time and again, he quotes from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And for the purpose of laying a foundation for our passage of study this morning, let's revisit some of what has already been written in this epistle. Look back to Hebrews chapter 2, the opening verse there, Hebrews 2 verse 1. We read there, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The warning is to pay careful attention, close attention, to be intentional, to listen and obey what we have heard. Then beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Again, it's put your eyes, keep your eyes on Christ as they are tempted to veer onto something else, continue to look to Christ. And then verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, we read, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." This warning here again is is to watch carefully over our lives, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart. And this is key to this text that we're looking at this morning. Uh, Alongside that, the antidote that's given here in verse 13 of exhorting one another daily so that our hearts might not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so again, in verse 15, referring to Psalm 95, we read in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then we see in verse 19, a handful of verses later, why the wilderness generation was unable to enter God's rest. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, we've unpacked this the last couple weeks, but that is still an amazing thing to think about. All that they had witnessed the hand of God doing in their presence, in caring for them intimately, and yet there still was unbelief. And so the author uses that example of the Israelites in the wilderness, that we are to learn from their unbelief, and that we are exhorted at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1 Therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it He he continues with this idea of this corporate language and says let us fear Let us revere God Let us keep our eyes upon him And then again, it's attached to our text this morning, going to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. We read, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What love and care by this preacher to encourage his audience, to help one another stay focused on Christ. He uses this corporate language throughout. That we're given clear evidence and instruction that our faith is a corporate faith. That God has gifted us as a means of his grace with one another. To help us to persevere in the faith. Let me ask, you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and felt like, I just don't want to go to church today? You ever felt crummy? Ever had other thoughts going through your mind? And yet to receive a phone call, a text message of someone, can't wait to see you at church this morning. Oh, puts my mind right back upon Christ, upon the treasure that we have in gathering together. That The Word of God says we are to be intentional in helping each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I know we're hearing this week after week. And by God's grace, it will aid us in being intentional with one another. We're not to be like the Exodus generation who fell in the wilderness, who complained and murmured amongst each other. This morning we heard about that in Sunday school, about discontentment within the church. But rather we are to encourage one another in Christ. We are to remind one another that God is sovereign and that God is near, that He is involved in every detail of our lives. Every single detail. We are to pray for and with one another. And we see in our text this morning in verse 11 that our striving together in the faith is directly connected with the Word of God. Meaning we need to encourage each other by discussing and applying God's Word. So look again at verse 11 of chapter 4. And keep in mind that this verse is connected to verses 12 and 13. They are one unit of thought. And so in verse 11 of Hebrews four, we read, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And the author connects that thought with the conjunction "for" in verse 12. So look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Remember the warning already is that we must take care, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. In order to take care, to watch our hearts carefully, we must strive to enter God's rest. And we see here, this is done by hearing and by obeying God's word. So beloved, we, we are to be so intentional in encouraging one another with God's word. How many times have you thought of somebody and said, oh, I'm thinking about them. I'm not sure what to tell them. How about sharing a verse with them? How about a verse that has ministered to your soul? And tell them this passage or this verse has really ministered to me this week, and I pray that it would minister to you as well. Share God's Word. It is through actively allowing the Word of God to spiritually perform open-heart surgery on us that we stay fixed on Jesus, on His grace, On his promises. And as we shall see, the Word of God penetrates and it exposes every area of our hearts. And it reveals whether or not there is belief or unbelief within us. And so this morning, as we look to this text, we will see three details about God's living and active Word. First, we will see that the Word of God fulfills God's purposes. The Word of God fulfills God's purposes. Secondly, we will see that the Word of God penetrates and dissects. The Word of God penetrates and dissects. And thirdly, the Word of God evaluates and exposes. The Word of God evaluates and exposes. Let's begin this morning with the first detail that we see. That the Word of God fulfills God's purposes. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 4, we read... For the word of God is living and active. And from the early church fathers through modern scholars, there's been much discussion about this term word of God. That's mentioned here in Hebrews 4. Does it refer directly to the person of Jesus Christ? Or does it refer to the spoken and written word of God? And so for those who have said it refers to Christ, that this word of God refers directly to him. We have some notables of Augustine and John Owen said this refers to Christ. But to those who say this word of God refers to Scripture, some notables are Christostom and and Calvin said, no, this is the word of God. And so we have brilliant, godly men who have differed. And perhaps because they were looking at this as an either or instead of a both and. We know that Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the Word of God. Many of you know your Bibles in the opening of John's Gospel. In the opening of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what did that word do? took on flesh and dwelt among us. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, referring to Jesus as the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And though Jesus is referred to as the Word of God, in the book of Hebrews, Word of God is recorded twice. It's recorded here in verse 12 in our text this morning, and it's also recorded in chapter 13, verse 7. I'll read that to you unless you want to flip there, but it's brief. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. In Hebrews, Jesus is called the Son of God, but he is never referred to as the Word of God. This term, this phrase, the Word of God, it occurs roughly 40 times in the New Testament. And almost always is in the context of the spoken or written word of God. And so we know that Jesus, though he is the word of God, that he speaks the word of God. So recall how this letter of Hebrews began back in chapter 1 in the opening two verses. We read in Hebrews 1 that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We see many times throughout the New Testament that the word of God is something that is heard. In Luke 5, chapter 1, or excuse me, Luke 5, verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, we read about Jesus that the crowd was pressing on to him to hear the word of God. Jesus was speaking the word of God. In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The word of God is also what the apostles preached, declaring Jesus to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world if you've read through Acts and have seen as they declare the Word of God, we read in Acts 12, 24 that the Word of God increased and it multiplied, meaning it was shared from house to house and from location to location. And so it's with this understanding of the Word of God that we can again look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 for the word of god is living and active in the original greek the word living comes first in the sentence and it is emphasized in greek one of the meanings of this word living means to offer life you now peter refers to the living word of god in his first letter in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 23 1 Peter 1:23 Peter says that believers have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, the living word is the vehicle by which the Holy Spirit gives life to God's people. We read in James chapter 1 verse 18, "Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth." And just a handful of verses later, in verse 21 of James chapter 1, we are told to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now we know that Paul declares in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. And this is why the elect hear the word of God preached, And it brings them life. It is God's word that brings life to his people. The same word that is the power of God to salvation for the elect is also folly to those who are perishing. How many times have you experienced that in telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ? Who resist it and reject it. And it is folly to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we read, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul writes that his preaching is to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance of life to life. The Word of God is living to those who are quickened by God's Spirit, who are able to comprehend and receive its message. This is why some of you, in hearing the preached Word of God, think that you are being singled out during a sermon. Why is the preacher talking about me? It is not because the preacher knows something specific about you. It is because God does. And his word is living. The word that it is living also means that it is not outdated. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word remains the same. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, we read, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is living, and it is active. This word active in, in verse 12 of chapter 4, it means effectual. It comes from the Greek word from which we get the word or the term Energy. So in other words, it means that God's word is full of power and energy to accomplish all of God's purposes. Think about creation and how God spoke into existence all the beautiful creation. And the same way God's word creates new life in those who are dead in transgressions and sins. God's word is active. It is full of power and energy to fulfill God's desires. We read from Isaiah 55 this morning. In verse 11 of Isaiah 55, we read, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Recall God's purposes being fulfilled when Peter stood to preach on the day of Pentecost, and the Word of God was clearly proclaimed. Do you remember after chapter 2 of Acts, after Peter stands and proclaims the mysteries of Christ? He preaches a Christ-centered, expository sermon, and he never went to seminary. But he knew to make the message about Christ. It was all about Christ, and he filled it with Scripture. It was God's Word. And in that, he called sinners to salvation in Christ alone, in the finished work of Jesus. And do you remember how the hearers responded upon hearing these things? In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Keep that in mind as we talk about the Word of God that dissects and it exposes. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Do you remember the answer? Repent. Repent. Turn from living your way according to your way, according to what you desire, and turn to God and believe in Christ and be baptized i mean it is this word of god it is in this great salvation that comes through this word of god that paul boldly proclaims in romans 1:16: i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes beloved this is glorious news wonderful news, that the Son of God came to earth to save sinners, that there is no depth of sin committed by anyone that is beyond the reach of His grace. What a good and glorious Savior, that all who repent and believe shall be saved. Not only does the Word of God bring life to those who believe, but as we shall see this morning, it also brings judgment to those who do not believe. The Word of God is living and it is active. It fulfills all of God's purposes. Secondly, this morning, we see that the Word of God penetrates and it dissects. Read it again from verse 12. Of Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Now, before we get into it, this is not an anatomy lesson. There is a big picture here to be grasped. He begins with, the Word of God, and describes it as sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, a double-edged sword, it means that as the sword is swung, it does damage from both sides. And in the ancient world, the double-edged sword was the sharpest weapon available in any arsenal. A fine double edged sword would require little force to inflict great damage. And yet, we read here in this description of God's Word that the Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. Which means that the sharpest sword available did not and does not compare to the power of God's word. There is no comparison. One commentator notes that the symbolism of the word of God being sharper than any double-edged sword conveys the message that God's judgment is stern, righteous, and awful. God is sovereign. He has ultimate power over his creatures. And those who refuse to listen to his word will face death and eternal judgment. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. We read, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Isaiah 49, verse 2. Speaking of the coming Christ, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In Hosea 6, verse 5, we read, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. Speaking of Christ, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, we read, From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And in Revelation chapter 2, Speaking of Christ again, it says, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Well, what does this all mean? It means that we should make no mistake about it. Habitual disobedience to God's living word is fatal. Those who disobey God's word will not escape Punishment. The word of God, like God himself, is living. This is why we are warned later in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 31, we are warned that it is a fearful thing, meaning a terrifying thing, a dreadful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. Thus, we must pay attention to God's word and we must seek to obey it. And while those who disobey God's living word will face the wrath of God, those who by God's grace obey his word, enter his rest, and have eternal life. We see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the work of the living and active word of God, it says that it is piercing, That It divides. Read again, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. And so the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, describes the work of God's word as penetrating, as dissecting. He, He says that it penetrates and it dissects soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Think about what he is saying. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow, these are things that are not naturally observed. Thus, the use of this symbolism here communicates that the Word of God reveals those things that we do not naturally perceive. It reveals what is hidden, it reveals what is in secret. The word of God reaches the depths of a person's inner life. Nothing remains untouched by Scripture, for it addresses every aspect of one's life. John Owen put it this way. He said, quote, As a sword piercing into the soul, the word of God goes into the inner recesses, the secret rooms of the mind and heart, it penetrates people's hearts minds and souls to discern and judge them end quote. it is the word of god that also empowered by the spirit of god equips god's people for every good work as we heard this morning from second timothy chapter 3 Again, we read in verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it is the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, that equips people to persevere in the faith and to bring God glory with their lives. Word of God empowered by the Spirit of God. Many of you know that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the Word of God is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. I like what Spurgeon says about this. Spurgeon comments and says, quote, The Word of God is that by which sin is slain, and grace is born in the heart. It is the light which brings life with it. End quote. It is that with which sin is slain. And John Bunyan, the author of the classic Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote on the cover of his Bible, which D.L. Moody would quote from that. But he wrote either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. How true is that? Why? Because the Bible penetrates and dissects everything that is within us. Everything is laid open before us, and we are without excuse. It is through God's Word that we know the truth. And it is through His Word that sin is revealed and that repentance is demanded. The reason why people do not want to read the Bible is because they do not want to know the truth. It is that simple. They will say that they think that ignorance is bliss. Beloved, ignorance is not bliss. Sin must be accounted for. If we run not to Christ and trust in Him for paying the price for our sin, we will have to pay for it ourselves. Sin must be accounted for. But many people do not like to be reminded of their sinful, deceitful hearts. And so they conveniently find other things that are more important Than reading and studying God's Word. Maybe you have said it or you've heard others say it. I'm just too busy. But I ask you, is this really true? Too busy to read God's Word. I mean, are are you too busy to eat? Too busy to relieve yourselves? Too busy to groom yourself? I'm looking out and many of you have groomed yourself well today. Looking good. But you weren't too busy to do that. How is it possible that anyone is too busy to study and read God's living and active word? Do you know we're all given the same amount of hours in every day? Look to the person to your left or to your right. They don't have more hours than you. you. Say, "Well, they don't do what I do." You're right. You have so many hours to prioritize what you're going to do with those hours. God's word is necessary in our lives to continually to reveal to us our need for a savior. It keeps our eyes fixed upon Jesus. It helps us to cling to him and to seek to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. So God's word does its work in our lives. But thirdly, it also evaluates and it exposes. The end of verse 12, we read that the word of God discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Meaning the word of God strikes at the core of our hearts. I like what Tom Schreiner said here. He said, quote, God's word represents God himself. Just as God knows our thoughts and attitudes, so God's word judges our thoughts and intentions, end quote. The truth of God. But since the natural man since the natural man has a heart that is deceitful above all things and it is desperately sick, in our fallen nature, we excel at deception. We naturally deceive ourselves. We minimize sin and we maximize self. We justify sin by saying things like, I'm only human. Or everybody does it. We think of ourselves higher than we ought. And we often think that we're just not that bad. I'm not that bad. Why would we ever think that we're not that bad? Because of who we are comparing ourselves to. We find others who are morally more corrupt than us and say, well, I'm not as bad as them. But we fail to compare ourselves to God's perfect and holy standard. We fail to compare ourselves to Christ. We justify, I'm only human. I'm not God. And though we think that we might be good, it is the Word of God that evaluates that judgment. His Word cuts deeply to the darkest corner of the inner life and exposes the things that we wish to keep hidden, to keep in secret. John Piper comments here and says, quote, the word of God is living and active and penetrates to the bottom of our lives and rips the pleasant mask off the ugly face of sin, end quote. That's what God's word does. Through God's word, we are laid bare. We are fully exposed but we're also given hope. There is hope for the believer. That not only do we hear his word, but by his grace, we're able to practice his word, to be doers of his word. We read in James chapter one, verses 22 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You ever think about the word of God being like a mirror? That it exposes everything that is out of place? And when you look in the mirror and you see you have that booger hanging off your nose right here, do you just walk away and forget about it? Some of you are like, yeah, whatever. No, you don't. You take care of it. And when we look to God's Word and exposes who we are, we turn to Christ and we plead with Christ that we know that we are desperate and we are needy for His grace. To help conform us into his image. As children of God, we are thankful for the exposure that the Word of God causes. We are not afraid of it, we do not shrink back from it, we are not worried about it because we desire to be like him. We desire to live a life that is pleasing in his sight and so we're thankful for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the word of God does we're thankful for new hearts we've been regenerated by the work of the spirit and now desire to bring God glory and so we seek his word we don't run from it we seek his word to expose us to remind us of our need for a Savior, that we would never fall prey to unbelief, but we would always be reminded that we need a Savior. We need Christ. Beloved, how much we need Christ each and every day. His grace upon grace. And so we seek His Word to continually do that spiritual heart surgery on us so that we will be continually conformed to the image of Christ. And we read here in verse 13, Hebrews 4, verse 13, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Here the author clearly shows us God's infallible knowledge of human beings. He knows everything. And we see the connection here, the close connection between the word of God and God himself as this verse transitions to God himself, that God knows the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart for nothing in all of created order is hidden from him. We read all the way back in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And In Psalm 33 verse 13 we read the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. Listen, we can deceive ourselves. We, we can deceive others, but may we never think that we can deceive God. Never. We are in plain sight to God. We can't hide anything from him. Though we can hide it from one another, we cannot hide it from God. We are naked and exposed before him. And the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts are perfectly discerned by him. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7, we read the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In Psalm 7 verse 9, we read of God that you who test the minds and hearts. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Oh, beloved, do you see our need for Christ? That we have a Savior. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And then our Lord in Revelation chapter 2, verse 23 says, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. We may be able to fool one another, but we can never, ever fool God. Nothing escapes the scrutiny of, of God. Listen, on the day of judgment, it is not that we're going to stand before one another and give an account. It's not that we're going to stand before our own consciences and give an account, but we will stand before a holy God to whom we must give account. And on that day, we will not have any disguise. We'll have no protection and no excuse. And if we do not have active faith in Christ, we will experience the full wrath of God. You must be Christ. You must know him and he must know you. And how do you know for sure? Because of his living and active word in your life. As you read his word, do you hear him and do you follow him? Because that's what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Beloved, I cannot urge you enough or encourage you enough to know God's word, to love his word, to obey his word. It is his living and active word that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that serves as our guide in following Christ through all the deceptions of our heart. I heard recently that there was some lotto that was worth like $2 billion or something, which that got some people's attention. Brought people out of every nook and cranny to say, Ooh, $2 billion dollars. I want you to imagine I'm assuming it was none of you who won, but I, I'm going to have you imagine the person that did win. And I want you to think of them holding that winning ticket. And upon finding out that they had the matching numbers for the nearly two billion dollar prize, what do you think they did with that ticket? Do you think they just flung it on the coffee table? Think they went and buried it in the junk drawer? You think they just add to the collection of loser tickets that they had? You can bet they held near and dear to that ticket. They did not let it out of their sight. Do you realize that the word of God is of immeasurably greater reward than that lotto ticket? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, and to lose his own soul. No amount of money on Judgment Day can pay for the penalty for sin that you have committed against a holy God. But the Word of God, the Word of God holds treasure for this life and for the life to come. It unfolds God's redemptive plan to offer forgiveness and reconciliation through his son so that people can enjoy him now and be with him forever. His written word is the sword of the Spirit, and it's given to us so that our hearts do not become hardened by sin. His word instructs us in righteousness and his spirit empowers us to obey his word by walking in that righteousness are you hearing the word of god preached are you an expository listener do you hear god's message from god's word today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts Do you hear his word? And are you committed to responding to it in obedience, to take action? How many of us can confess to how many times we hear the word of God preached and we walk away saying, that was powerful, that was convicting, what's for lunch? And we fail to act upon the word of God. We fail to obey the word of God. And so are you committed to study his word, to rightly handle his word, to use it as a weapon to protect your heart and your mind? 17th century Puritan William Grinnell said this, a pilot without his chart, a scholar without his book, and a soldier without his sword are alike ridiculous. But above all these, It is absurd for one to think of being a Christian without knowledge of the word of God and some skill to use this weapon, end quote. Do you profess to know Christ? Do you cherish his word? Are you diligent in knowing it and seeking him to obey it? hit a few verses from there. Psalm 119, verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John MacArthur said, quote, No believer has excuse for not knowing and understanding God's word. Every believer has God's own Holy Spirit within him as his own divine teacher of God's divine word. Our only task is to submit to his instruction by studying the word with sincerity and commitment. We cannot plead ignorance or inability, only disinterest and neglect. End quote. Have you given yourself to the faithful study of God's word? Have you prioritized your day and your time to say far above all else, the word of God is what I need. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is through studying God's Word that our minds are renewed. God's Word promotes holy living. It it encourages our hearts to persevere. But, beloved, I want to remind you of this. You are not in this alone. This is not a lone ranger faith. God gives us one another, and we're to encourage one another with God's Word. You can encourage. How did God's Word minister to you in a given sermon from a given text share that with a brother or sister share with them the scripture that is ministering to you during the week by the way if you do not have some type of intentional reading plan i encourage you join the church's plan we have a bible reading plan for the church so you could be on the same page of scripture as other brothers and sisters here at the church And so when you text them a verse or they text you something, you have read that in context and you know what it means and it strengthens your soul. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We are to teach and admonish one another in wisdom. How do we do that? The word of God. So we're to seek opportunities to discuss God's word with other believers. I would say this, if you are not part of a home fellowship group and you are available those evenings, I mean, you are not working that evening. Maybe you have little kids in the house. Maybe you rotate. One of you go one week and the other spouse goes the other week. But I encourage you to attend a Wednesday night home fellowship where that time, the point of that time is to encourage each other in the word of God from the word that was preached the previous Sunday to look at it again and see how we can apply it that we can be doers of the word. And so we have home fellowship groups in North County, up in Scripps Ranch, in East County, in El Cajon. And beginning November 8th, we'll have one in Claremont, one that is centrally located. And so I encourage you, be intentional in stirring up love and good works in each other, in ministering God's word to one another, of seeking genuine biblical fellowship where the focus of your time together is building one another up in the faith. That's being intentional. And so these Sundays, rather than leaving immediately afterwards or scheduling things right after church, plan to stay afterwards. So you can go up to a brother and you can go up to a sister and say, how did the sermon minister to you today? And how can I pray for you? These are the one another's. It's the gift of God that He's given us one another. And so, beloved, I will close with this. Do not neglect God's Word. Prioritize Him. Prioritize His Word. Study it. Seek to obey it through the power of the Spirit so that you do not fall prey to unbelief. Before I close in prayer this morning, I encourage you to bow your heads and to reflect on what God is teaching you from his living and active word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving care for us and that you would use your word to bring us life and then to continually strengthen us in the faith. Father, we ask that you would help us to prioritize your word in our daily schedules, that you would help us to encourage one another in your word. Father, we praise you that your word will accomplish all your purposes that you sent it to do. Grant us wisdom to walk according to your spirit and to be doers of your word. We praise you for your amazing love towards us, and we pray these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This benediction from Psalm 37, verses three through six. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Beloved, have a glorious day in Christ. You are the church. Love and care for one another well. God bless you.